Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Roisin. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specializes in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing other themes such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss, and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, lighthearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. In this week's show, we are talking about one of the key areas that a lot of people just don't talk about when it comes to the fertility journey. And this is the area of mental health and a topic that is particularly close to my heart, um, not only personally, but also with my kind of psychology head on. Something that I am really keen to talk about. Maria, when you started realising that fertility might be coming an issue for you. When did the fear start to set in? Can you remember? I, like so many people, had been on the pill for a number of years. I actually went on it for my skin, which is relevant because it was because of the PCOS that I had such bad skin in the first place. But obviously, at whatever age it was, 15, go to the doctors, oh, your skin's bad, here, go on the pill. So I'd been on the pill for maybe, I don't know, probably a a good 15, 16 years. Came off the pill and, you know, I'd read that this will take a while. And I was like, okay, one month, two months, three months, six months, nothing. Nothing happened. Uh, We thought, okay, this might be the time to go to the doctor and that was the time when the stress and the nervousness and the anxiety um, began to set in because it made it more real. I think this is an interesting thing because it's like when someone gets in touch with a personal trainer for the first time. I see it as quite a big step because in order to get to reaching out to the personal trainer, going to the GP, contacting a fertility clinic, you have to have gone through quite a serious cognitive process, I think, of Firstly, okay, there might be an issue here for whatever it is that you're you're getting support with. And that's big. That's big in itself. And secondly, reaching out to someone I think is a really brave thing because it does make you a little bit vulnerable. Wrongly, in my opinion, you might feel shame. I understand why people feel shame, but I don't think there should be any shame. This isn't your fault. At that point, all of those feelings, the vulnerability, there's maybe embarrassment with some people, uh, nervousness, stress. For me, that all came probably when I first reached out to the GP. It's important what you said about externalizing your problem. The difficulty with that is you might have a response that goes, yes, you've got a problem. It's a difficult conversation to have. And that's what happens, I suppose, when you go to the GP for the first time or or go through a battery of tests and you realize, oh, this mightn't be quite as simple as the old getting to the sack (laughs) around ovulation time and (laughs) a few scented candles, you know, a little bit of, Barry White and everything's going to be fine. By the way, I've just described the consumption of both of my children. There are things, Roisin, that we do not need to know, but thank you for sharing. Good old Barry White. I was actually just thinking, before you even go to the GP, if you have a partner and you're in a male-female couple, because it's different if you're a gay couple and you want children, because obviously you'd have to have that conversation, but you may also have to essentially come out to your partner that there might be fertility problems. For a lot of people, if you haven't had that conversation yet, like for some people will know, like I said, with me, there's a family history of PCOS. So it's something that can be talked about quite easily. And as soon as you get into the shall we, shall we, you know, you can say, listen, that's fine, but you just need to know, you know, there might be a couple of problems here. But with some people, like you've just said, if you go to the doctor and you find out and then they confirm, let's say it's PCOS or perhaps it's endometriosis, you then have to also explain that to your partner. 
And this goes both ways. It could be an issue with your sperm. If you're the male, it could be obviously the issue with your ovaries or your uterus or whatever it is if you're the female. But actually, before you even get into treatment, you've got that first stage. And then, depending on what your personal choices are, what your family background is, there's a lot of cultural issues here. Do you tell your family? Because it, Quite a few of my clients have um, very close-knit families, but there are particular cultural expectations. You get married or you, you're in a serious relationship and the questions start coming, don't they? When you're going to sure. have a baby? When you're going to have a baby? When you're going to have a baby? So yeah, before you've even gone to the clinic, you might have to have these quite difficult conversations with people if you choose to do so. Sure. And again, so that might lead to the stress, the anxiety. I know a lot of people actually prep how they're going to talk to their family because the family are saying, look, where are the kids? And you get sick of just saying, oh, we're just going to go traveling or we're just, you know, we're just, I'm just working on my career or whatever excuses you come up with. So, yeah, before you even got to that stage thinking about it, you might have already had to go through quite a lot of stress. This is a time that's fraught with a lot of emotion and sense of self. And kind of the feeling of being a complete person functioning. Sometimes we are way more compassionate towards someone else that has a difficulty than we would be towards ourselves oh totally yeah absolutely yeah even before mm. you get to that gp visit there's a lot of treacherous ground to walk through before you even get anywhere near that and i think a lot of that is done really silently the silently thing is very interesting because it is done very silently but it's such a loud voice in your head for the whole time. It's this really difficult mix of you are beginning to get really worried, you're beginning to get really stressed, and all the while you're going to work, you're meeting your friends, you're putting up with the pregnancy announcements, but there's this massive loud thing going on in your own head, but it's completely invisible to everyone else. And it's really hard, it's really hard to balance all of that and put a smile on your face and, you know, congratulations, you know, that's really hard. Because the time that you want to have babies is, is roughly probably around the same time as your friends and your peer group want to have babies. You're often put into situations where you have to, oh, do you want to hold the baby or, you know, come to the next baby shower? Or even organize the baby shower. You know, there are situations where you've been trying to get pregnant for a very long time. Sometimes your best friend doesn't know your best friend gets pregnant. It's your job to organize the baby shower, you know, and unless you're willing to say, I don't want to organize your baby shower because I've been trying to have a baby for three years and I can't. And this is killing me inside, which most people are not going to do with the best friend. But essentially, that's how it feels. You know, opening up Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is you use and seeing yet another pregnancy announcement can be an absolute, it's like a knife to the heart, you know. And then, you know, it's first thing in the morning, it's 7am, you know, you wake up, a lot of people instantly reach for their phone, which maybe we shouldn't, but you do. And then the first thing you see is, you know, pregnancy announcement or scan photo and that's how your day starts. And that is a, from experience, that is a rough way to start the day. So... So yeah, it's a really tough one. And like we said, you've not even got to the doctors yet. This is all before you've even gotten to the doctors or the clinic. So yeah, it's tough already. I suppose in a way you had that sort of slight advantage, if you want to call it that, if anything could be an advantage in this scenario, is that you are slightly pre-warned there's PCOS in the family. What's the phrase? Like forewarned is forearmed. Whilst it wasn't as bad as it would be for some people where it's a complete shock out the blue, having someone actually confirm it is still a real thing. And I think that is important to say because a lot of people will have a suspicion. But you know, if you've been on the pill for 15, 20 years, which so many people have, 
it's quite normal for things not to go back to normal. So you can always talk yourself into it. You know, you just hope that they come back and say, oh, listen, don't worry, it's fine. It's just a pill, you'll be okay. It is still a shock. And like we said in earlier episodes, you have to go through all the tests. They're not always that comfortable. You've got, you know, your introduction to wonder. You've got the high cosy. So you've got the emotional side of it. And then you've got all of the physical things that you then have to go through as well, which can add to the stress and the toll of of the whole kind of emotional and psychological side of it as well. So yeah, it's helpful to know, but it's it's still tough when you have that confirmation. Did you seek any comfort in the process? You go to the doctor, you get diagnosed, and then the doctor goes, this is the process. We are going to start you here and we're going to work you through these stages. Did you find that comforting? Personally, I did. And it's all to do with control. Because one of the things with this infertility journey is a lot of the time you feel like you've lost all control. You know, it's your body. Your ovaries are supposed to work. Or if you've got a male partner, it's your male partner's body. Their sperm are supposed to swim in a straight line. You know, they're not supposed to swim in circles. It just takes that element of control. Knowing the process helped me regain that feeling of control, which I did find comforting because... You know, you can plan it out. You do this, you do this, you do this. For me, it's a bit like a flow diagram. If this happens, you do this. If this happens, I do this. So for me, yes, I find that very comforting. I think it depends with a lot of people on your diagnosis. I was lucky in that mine was relatively straightforward. But I know with some people, the problem with this journey is unexpected things happen. You just don't see them coming, some of them. Obviously, we've just been through a pandemic, which we will come on to because this is a whole extra layer of absolute ridiculousness when it comes to the stress of fertility. So I know someone who finally, after many years and many frustrations, eventually got prescribed Clomid. So they're thinking, brilliant, happy days, I've got Clomid. They go down to the pharmacy, they get the prescription, and then everything goes into lockdown, including all the non-essential services at the GP. Now, when you're on Clomid or Letrozole, you have to go and get your bloods done to see if the um, meds have worked, to see if your progesterone levels are rising. This is the day 21 blood test that we've talked about before, but basically just to get biological proof that the meds are actually working. With COVID, that all got shut down. So the advice of all the fertility clinics, they shut down. The advice of the GPs and the doctors was, we're not gonna test your blood, so you can't take the meds. The stress of that was overwhelming, but also the complete lack of control, you know, and it's at the worst possible. It's like the cruelest thing. You've got the prescription. You've got it in your hands. Sorry, you're not allowed to take it. Can't. Global pandemic. You know, it's just control. It's a complete lack of control. And again, with my psychology head on, there's a lot of research on this now, but a lot of the research shows that the things that stress people out are in a work environment is workload. So, you know, having just too much to do, but lack of control is the other big one. So if you've got high workload and low control, that is particularly bad, particularly troublesome. And fertility, complete lack of control. So yeah, for me, the process was good. For a lot of people, it doesn't quite go as well. There's a lot of unexpected things that can happen. And that just feeds into this stress. It's not like you're coming in fresh. It's not like you're super resilient because, you know, you're at the start line. You've already put so much effort in to get to this point. And then these things can happen. So you're already emotionally lower than you would like to be. So it's a tough one. It's really tough. Did you employ any strategies to try and reduce your stress levels? You've seen Forrest Gump, haven't you? The film. (laughs) Who hasn't? So for a while, I was a bit like Forrest Gump. Run, Maria, run. I just ran everywhere. I'd run to the post office. I'd run to the bank. I'd run to get a pint of milk. The fitness thing was really important for me. It was a big stress relief. I'm not suggesting you all need to go running, by the way. But for me, yes, I did go running. Other than the fitness side of things, I also... This is when I started meditating. 
I basically tried to do a lot of things that were economical and easy to access because obviously this whole journey it can be really expensive in lots of different ways. You might have to actually pay for IVF if you're going through it. Um, even just paying for a prescription these days is a lot of money, especially when times are tight. So I started with things that were free. Joking aside, one of the reasons I love running is it is free. You know, you've got your trainers and that's it. Happy days. So I'd run. Um, I did start to meditate at this point. And there are lots of apps that can help you do that. But there's loads of guidance online. You know, there's loads of free things that you can do. That really helped me because my brain was just a whir. You know, it's ticking over, ticking over, ticking over. And even though you know the process, what I used to do was I would have what ifs for every possible scenario. Because for me, it helps me feel like I was in control. But it also is a really stressful thing to do because you're constantly running what if scenarios through your head. So, for example, when you're on the meds, one of the really stressful things about Clomid and Letrozole, especially the first time you take it, is you just want to know it's working. So the biggest stress, you've, you've been through everything already. Like I said before, in my head, it's like you're starting at minus, you know, and then eventually you get to zero. This is how I see it. And you're like, OK, I've got the meds. The biggest thing with the meds is I want to know if I'm actually going to ovulate. So for the first two weeks of being on these meds, all you're thinking about is I'm going to ovulate, am I going to ovulate, am I going to ovulate. So that's the first stress. So for me, the kind of mindfulness, the meditation just really helped me manage that initial level of anxiety. You just want to get that positive on the OPK, on the ovulation predictor kit, the smiley face or the OvuSense, whatever it is you're using. So meditation was really good for me. I actually spent a lot of time trying to cut out sugar and I did lower my caffeine as well, both for the physical side of things we have talked about before. But also what I've really noticed recently is like, I have cut out sugar a lot recently. Like I'm, I'm very proud of myself, actually. I've done really well on the sugar because the mood drop that you have when you've eaten that pure sugar, it's just massive. Sure. And in the last four weeks, I've basically cut out a lot of the sugar and my mood has been so much more stable. Like hand on heart, I cannot believe the difference. When I was going through a fertility journey, I did a similar thing. It was to try and reduce any possible stress. So reduce that moodiness, reduce that sudden sugar crash because things were bad as they were. <laughs> you know, I didn't yeah. need any sugar added into it. Same with the caffeine. Don't get me wrong, like I love coffee. But at the time I cut it out because I was like, things are hard enough as they are without me having a massive caffeine drop, a massive sugar drop. So I did look at my nutrition and I tried to eat extra healthy. Where did you incorporate the meditation? Because actively avoid it. I'm just wondering how you managed to get it in. What I've learned about myself is quite often when I wake up in the morning, I guess you would call it quite dysregulated if I've got a lot going on. What that means to me, once I'm suddenly awake, you know, you're like, you're groggy and then boom, you're awake. As soon as I get to that boom, you're awake, everything rushes in. So whatever stage of life I'm at, everything rushes in, whether it's work, whether it's the business, whether it's friendships. And I go from being very relaxed to sometimes literally jumping out of bed and trying to do everything at once very very quickly my adrenaline goes through the roof and I'm telling you this because again that happened with the fertility journey so as soon as that boom I'm now awake thing hit everything would come flooding in I would try and do it in the morning just to try and calm the hell down basically because it's just in my nature and was there any particular breaths that you were doing there's so many different ones isn't there but is there anything that worked particularly well for you 
Yeah, I love the in for a certain number, hold for a certain number, out for a certain number. This works well for people with anxiety. You can also use it for people having panic attacks and that type of thing. So for me, I really like the in for three, hold for four, out for five. And even if you just do that maybe three times, for me personally, that really worked because again, to get into the kind of biology of it, it's your, your autonomic nervous system, your parasympathetic and your sympathetic. And basically your, your parasympathetic is the part of you that calms yourself down. And you just need to tell your brain, it's okay okay, you can calm down. And when you tell your brain everything is okay, the parasympathetic branch of your autonomic nervous system kicks in and it releases the calming hormones and it stops things like adrenaline. So it's a biological thing, but you can try and get your body there. You know, you don't have to wait for it to happen naturally. You can encourage your body to switch on the parasympathetic branch and that will physically help to calm you down. When we're talking about the medication, you must be getting some crazy physical symptoms as well. It felt like my ovaries were being dusted off and wound up slowly. Imagine cogs, you know, like in a clock. You have this image of all of a sudden they creak into action. That is what both sides of my body felt like. I could nearly hear them creaking going, what is this? What is happening? I was very short-tempered. I was very stressed. I was very emotional. It was like PMS in the extreme. We have talked before a bit about how when that first starts, A, you've got to cope with this immense PMS, but also you've got to cope with the fact that you're not used to dealing with PMS, or I wasn't. So you've got this double whammy of, I haven't even got any tactics to deal with this. I don't know what to do. I'm out in public. I'm speaking to people, you know? I'm also a teacher. I'm trying to teach lessons. My ovaries are cranking on. I can feel them, you know, the little clogs turning. And I've got the rage and nothing, nothing, nothing was wrong. It was really hard really hard and I was aware of it I, I I was not psychotic I had not lost touch with reality I knew what was happening it was um really hard did GP give you any kind of heads up that this potentially could happen to no. you well, you know you go to your GP you go to your gynae here take these drugs everything will be fine no I mean I suppose you're supposed to read the leaflet aren't you and I'm I, I was I don't know maybe I did read the leaflet but I mean does anyone read the leaflet they can be overwhelming, those leaflets, Maria. There's a lot of writing on them. You know, you read the dose on the box and you crack on. No one reads the symptoms leaflet, but you should, people. You should. When you were going through these hormone surges, were you offered any treatments? Were you offered any counselling? Was there anyone saying that maybe potentially some antidepressants would help? This could be a very long process for people. They, they could be in this state for years. No is the answer to the question. No one talked about the side effects or the stress or the anxiety. When I was postpartum, I did experience very bad anxiety with both pregnancies. The doctors were, when I went to them, they were very receptive, but in the fertility treatment stage, no, nothing. For me, it was just, here's the meds, crack on. I think there is a lot more awareness now in fertility clinics, in particular, that this does take a huge toll. And actually my grand plan with my business is to bring in a counsellor as well to offer people that side of support because it has to be holistic. It affects you mentally, it affects you physically. The physical thing is holistic. Getting yourself to work out, especially if you need to, it is a really tough mental battle. I really think the therapy side, the counselling side, whether it's talk therapy, whether it's CBT, possibly the meds, anything that can help, I am very much strongly in support of. Because a lot of what you advocate through fitness and wellbeing is this is unfortunately often a very long journey. You have to be really resilient to get through this process. You do. And again, I actually was looking at research into this. Resilience with the kind of definition of 
you find things hard. It's not that you don't find things hard. It's that you manage to keep going anyway. Being mentally healthy, being physically healthy, essentially does help people with resilience. On that note, though, I'd also like to say there does come a point where the healthiest thing to do is to stop. And as for the record, this is not me saying just go and adopt. That's not what I'm saying at all. We've talked about this before. I just want to recognise that sometimes stopping is the healthier thing to do or stopping that particular treatment or that particular path that you are on but yeah there was a research <laughs> randomly this was a korean one they officially found it was significant um for those of you that enjoy stats to p is less than or equal to 0 0.01 which basically means they were 99 percent sure that resilience had a negative correlation with depression which just means the more resilient you were the less depressed you became you can put up more of a structured defense externalize your feelings because often our thoughts just roll around our heads in a circular motion and they're not really going anywhere and it's only when you verbalize them when they come out as complete sentences that you realize oh god i don't know where that came from or that makes no sense it's really important to verbalize it so you're talking about the cognitive element to it and this going to the worst case scenario. There is research that links the infertility journey to things like PTSD and to trauma. There is research that shows that people working through infertility have similar stress levels to people with a cancer diagnosis. And again, I'm not belittling in any way a cancer diagnosis at all. I'm just trying to show the kind of mental strain that this has. One of the cognitive effects of that is once you've been through trauma, quite often it's hard to believe that anything good can then happen. So you do go to the worst case scenario. And with things like post-traumatic stress disorder, particularly if anyone has experienced, you know, pregnancy loss, that's a massive one because anyone going through pregnancy, particularly following a pregnancy loss, that is one of the hardest things to do because you are so vulnerable. You know, you are so vulnerable and it takes a very brave person to say, I'm willing to have another go at this. That's huge. I mean, that's, again, probably a whole other podcast episode, but I just want to recognise that that's massive. And it's no surprise that cognitively people go and plan for the worst case scenario because you've experienced the worst case scenario. There is a lot of research around this. And then again, just the other one quickly, when we were looking at depression and you're looking at the longer term and how it affects you in life, a Polish journal, and they were looking at depression and they were looking at people who have gone through assisted reproductive techniques. So basically things like IVF, they found a couple of interesting things. They did find that severe depression can lead to lower rates of pregnancy. This was if you're severely depressed in people going through things like IVF. So that was an interesting one. They do say severe depression. And what was also interesting was they said women who became pregnant after going through these assisted reproductive techniques seemed to have an increased risk for depression later on. Now, to be clear to the listeners, they did not say guarantees. They did not say we'll definitely be more exposed to depression later on. They just said, looking at the data, it seems like you're more likely to have an increased risk. So it's not guaranteed, but you know, the risk is floating around. And that was a paper in 2017, so it's relatively recent. I like these papers because people are looking into mental health and fertility. And that is what we're all about today. And it's good because people are now taking it seriously. And this research matters because people read this and the conclusion is there should be therapy available. The thing you asked me really early on in this episode was, did anyone say there's some therapy to help you out on this really difficult journey? No, no one said that. It's also showing that there's some investment. Mm -hmm. Good. Very much required. And what will we be discussing next week? In next week's show, I am super excited. We are going to have our first guest on. So it's not just going to be me and Roisin. It's going to be our fantastic nutritionist, uh, Julia. So Julia Young 
and she's going to talk to us about uh, fertility-related nutrition. She's a nutritionist but specialises in helping people with fertility. I know that she has helped a huge number of people just figure out what on earth to do with their nutrition. So tune in, it's going to be a good one. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week and please rate, comment and really importantly share with your friends, especially our Trying to Conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors. We strongly recommend that you consult your doctor before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.